and uh, we'll let them go back there. Um, Children's Church, for any of our visitors, this brother Mike and Miss Kathy, they're going to lead them to the back, and um, they'll have a lesson, but there is no obligation for anybody to go. Uh, it is quite all right if children want to stay here with us. Am I the only one who believes that? It's quite all right if children want to stay with us. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, you know, one thing that I was thinking about as we were uh, popping. One thing that I was thinking about is this, is that, um, is that uh, the line says, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. My question is. And that song is, do I recognize when I cannot stand? You know, so often we are, we are trying to prove to everybody that we can hold it together. That we can stand. It takes a real act of honesty. It takes great humility for us to actually recognize, I cannot cannot. Uh, And here's the deal. When we get to that point, it's not a point of failure as we would see it. When we get to that point, that's a point of grace. Because when I cannot stand, I have somebody to carry me. Amen? I have somebody... I have a rock that I can stand on. And so, uh, I don't know where you're at today. Uh, maybe you woke up and you felt vibrant, strong, able. Uh, maybe you woke up with some pressure on you. And you've still been trying to stand. You've been standing. But the Lord is saying, hey, rest in me for a little bit. Rest in me. Let me stand. Let me be the one who's going to be forward in prayer. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Uh, God, I celebrate. Holiness is not all the good stuff that I do, but holiness is what you have done for me in your son Christ. Lord, holiness is not something that I can attain for myself, but holiness is that which Christ has done to cleanse me, to consecrate me, to set me apart for a a certain purpose, God. I thank you that holiness is Christ in me. Your son, his life, his teaching, his example, your spirit that leads, teaches, graces us. This is how we are set apart, made holy, consecrated, uh, purposed. God, thank you. Uh, Lord, I pray. 
I pray and I, I ask, Lord, that you would help us. You would help us that we would uh, know, know whenever we have uh, the strength, the vitality, the energy, and know when we are lacking. Uh, Lord, at all times we are reliant upon you. There is no doubt. When we have the strength, the vitality, the energy, the will, we should acknowledge that that comes from you. And when we are lacking, we should acknowledge that the rest comes from you as well. The rehab, the recovery, that is of you as well. So God, I pray and I ask that you would help us to recognize when we are strong, we will celebrate you for being strong in us and for us, for giving us the strength. When we are weak, we will find ourselves celebrating that we have a place to rest and one with whom we can rest. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would be with us today as we, uh, as we embark upon your word. I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, Lead us, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, uh, build us up, Lord. Give us all that we need so that we can uh, walk worthy. So we can walk worthy, Lord, I pray. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. Paul says in Colossians chapter number 2, Verse number six, he says, as ye have therefore received Christ, the Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I would, um, I would submit to you that this is one of the main emphasis of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And I would submit to you this. That as we considered last week applying our principles. As we think about this new year. And we think about things that we want to do in the name of the Lord. As a, as a body of believers. The initiatives that we want to embark upon. As, as we consider such things. I would submit to you this. This statement of Paul is our why. Y'all know what our why statement is? This is why, what's the purpose of us doing this? People will ask teachers um, in, in Friendswood ISD right now, they, are, they have this campaign going on and, 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 and they will ask teachers, they will ask coaches, they will ask administrators, hey, well, tell us your why. Why are you in the education field? Why are you in the coaching profession? Why are you counseling students? And, and of course, that's an important question to ask in the education uh, field because you know some of these, um, most of these educators are getting paid a salary that is far less than what they could be doing otherwise. 
They could probably take their gifts, their talents, their energy, and they could apply it in other ways, in other industries, and they could be handsomely disciplined. So sometimes you have to lie of somebody who you know, hey, you're doing something that requires a bit of sacrifice. What we find in the, in the business world as well, people ask the why because they want uh, people to be able to identify, hey, why are we as a company, as an organization existing? What's our purpose here? What are we, what, what, what are we trying to do? And I can tell you this, no company wants to set out and say, we're just trying to make as much money as we possibly can. You know, that should be, uh, um, that is the reason, right? When at the end of the day, you know, profit and loss reports come out and businesses go, we want more profit than we want loss. But that's not a story that you can get behind. That's not a motivator. It, it's it's such a. It sounds like such a cheap motivator. So what companies will do is they will think about, hey, how did we even get this vision and this dream? What kind of culture do we want to create for our for for our uh, for our customers? And, and you have to do that in a free market society because guess what? You're not the only business pitching the goods that you're pitching, pitching the services that you're pitching. So there's also often asked this question of, hey, hey, and recently it's, hey, you need to discover your why. And here's what I would say is, as Friends of Baptist Church, we are not unique to other churches in this regard. But as disciples of Jesus, Paul's statement in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6, That we who have received Jesus Christ should walk worthy in him. That we should be rooted in him. That we should be established and rooted and built up in him. That we should be established in the faith and that we should abound there and we should abound in Christ with thanksgiving. This is the why. This is the why behind us gathering here this morning. We are gathered here this morning so that we could be further rooted in him, further built up in him, further established in our faith. We are here this morning so that we could abound in Christ with thanksgiving. We are here this morning. Our why is so that we can walk worthy of him. Walk worthy of him. Why do we want to have a men's prayer breakfast? Just so that we can have another social hour? No. Because we see it as a, as a, as a means for, for men to come together to, be, uh, to, be, uh, to build some fellowship, to build some community that will help us walk worthy of him. Why? So that we walk worthy of Christ. As I said, this is one of the main emphasis of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and I, or to, to the disciples at Colossae. And, 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 I'll, and I'll show that here in just a moment. 
But this has to stay on the forefront of everything that we do. Here's why this has to stay on the forefront of everything we do. Because a lot of times we get it reversed. And a lot of you might know this if you grew up in a Sunday school where you went in and they took roll and they had a chart and they asked you if you read your Bible. And they asked you if you knew your memory verse. And they asked you, you know, if, if, if you witnessed that week. And on that chart, what would they do? They would put a sticker there. Yeah, I, I, well, I showed up. I got a sticker. Well, I read my Bible. I got a sticker. I, uh, I, I did the memory verse. I got a sticker. Now, nobody meant wrong with this. This is a good motivational, uh, you know, instructional device, right? Hey, listen, we ever, if you go do these things, you're going to get a sticker. But here's what subconsciously happens when we do that. Subconsciously, what happens whenever you say, showing up gets me a sticker, then that's my why. I want to show up to get the sticker. If I read my Bible and I get a sticker, then that becomes my why. I get a sticker. If I said the memory verse, then I get a sticker. Did I bring a friend with me today? Sticker. It is not rooted in anything nefarious. But do you know that no sin is rooted in anything nefarious? All sin is missing the mark. Right? All sin is something good that God gave us being used in ways in which God never intended. God never designed us to, to, to use it this way. He never desired us to use it this way. And so this good hopeful instructional device to build within students and children uh, uh, disciplines and accountability. It gets uh, swept up in our flesh. It gets swirled around by our enemy and this good thing goes bad and we forget our why. And so now we do these things because we want to look good. We want to appear good. We want to appear whole, healthy. We want the proverbial gold sticker. When we talk to our friends and they say, tell us about your church, we want to say, well, you know, our church is doing a lot. Our church, I mean, we're, we're, we're just blowing and going, baby. We got this program for this, this program for this, this program for this, this program for that. Oh man, your church has a lot of gold stars. And those gold stars can mean something. But those could also be just empty gold stars. And so our why is that we walk worthy of Christ. Our why is that we are rooted in him and built in him. 
Our why is that we are established in the faith. Our why is that we can live in this broken, ruinous, rebellious world, and we are not the people who just sit there with everybody else and complain about all the wrong, all the failures, all the misgivings. But we can be those who abound with joy and thanksgiving in our heart. We could be the ones who say, I know there's a lot of death and cruelty. There's a lot of injustice and I'm sick of it and I lament it to the Lord. And I complain about it with my God and I rage over it whenever I'm in prayer with him. But in the midst of this, there is, there is this beauty. There is this beauty. You know, think about the, you know, things that happened this last week. We had some shootings happen in California that made the news. We had this video released Friday night. Those are horrible atrocities that we should lament and we should, we should be righteously angry about anytime they happen against anybody who they happen, by anybody who does it, right? But I think that there's something remarkable that we as a society don't watch this video and everybody goes, well, that's exactly what should happen. We don't hear about uh, uh, somebody shooting all their coworkers on a, on a mushroom farm and go, well, I bet they had it coming. There's something beautiful that we should be able to point to and say, do you see that nobody, this doesn't sit right with anybody. This doesn't sit right with any of us. There's communities of people who are coming together, who are grieving together. Could you imagine if you were the only one? Think about the prophet Jeremiah. He looks and it's like he's the only one lamenting the destruction of the city. Think about uh, uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. They come and they tell Nehemiah the report, and Nehemiah can't go to sleep that night. He is just torn up over what he's had, but it's just like Nehemiah is by himself in this grief. Let me not get too far down that road. I just want us to see what abounding in thanksgiving might actually look like. This is a main purpose of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Evidence for this is found in Colossians chapter number one, verse number, beginning in verse number nine. Paul writes, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, that you might be fruitful in every good work, that you might increase in the knowledge of God, that you might be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, which will bear out with you having patience and long suffering with joyfulness, wherein you give thanks to the Father who has made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. 
and he continues. Paul opens up his letter and says, hey, let, let me tell you one thing that I'm really, really praying for you who have believed in Jesus. One thing that I'm really, really, really praying for you is that you will be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you will walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. This is important to Paul. Hey, one of the main reasons why I'm writing you is so that you will walk worthy of the Lord. And then he, he gives some ways in which that might look. Chapter 2, Paul. So, as you have received Christ, walk worthy of him. Chapter 3, here's how you walk worthy of him. Here's how you walk worthy of him. You put off these things. You put on these things. In chapter 3, as we looked at it uh, last week in verses uh, 13 uh, through 17, Paul is talking to the church body as they, as they come together, as they gather, as they worship, as they serve together. Whenever they are assembled as the body, hey, this, is, this should be known about you. Uh, how, how, they, how they interact with one another. There's some characteristics that should be known about you, that you are, you are a forgiving people. You are a people who forbear with one another. There, there, there are some things that should be known about what you do. What you do is you are always, always intent to be bringing up the message, the word, the logos of Christ. In, in, in helping each other know this and remember this and understand this and apply this in your lives. And then Paul moves away from walking worthy as the church, or in the church, let's say, to walking worthy as the church. And then he goes on and he says, I want you to walk worthy, chapter one. Chapter two, I want you to walk worthy, chapter three. Hey, here's some ways in which you can walk worthy. We'll pick up in verse number 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So Paul says, I want you to walk worthy in the church and I want you to walk worthy as the church in your homes. Here's some ways, and he doesn't give us every point. He gives us some things that you and I actually have to go and we have to sit with and we have to chew on and we have to think through. So wives have to think through this language of what it means to submit to their husbands. We have to think through this. In Paul's day, this was not a shocking word to wives. Oh, really? Oh, wow, Paul. This is amazing news. This was the assumed. In a patriarchal culture as they were living in, this was assumed. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to submit to my husband. But he doesn't say, because he's the man and he has the authority over you. He says, as it is fit in the Lord. But what's interesting is everything that he's going to be addressing here is, hey, listen, like, think about like, how the Lord would want you to do this. And I'm not talking about with religious guilt. 
And I'm not talking with some really, really, really horrible ways in which the church has tried to apply this or Christians have tried to apply this where they're like, hey, listen, I don't care if he's beating you up. You're supposed to submit to him. No, you're not. No, that's, that's, that's incorrect. He's the man. He has the, he, no, no. As is fit in the Lord. You and I have to chew on that. We have to work through it. And here's the thing. Paul was writing to his time, his people, his culture. I can promise you this. Paul never thought, hey, you know what? In 2,000 years, in a whole different other time, in a whole different other culture, they're going to be chewing over these words. That would probably made Paul sick to his stomach. And like, hey, I might as well just not say anything because there's a lot that could go on in the next 2,000 years. Paul didn't even see the world happening for another probably 20 years. But he doesn't stop there. He says, husband loves your wife. If you know anything about this culture and you know anything about this statement, this will be the thing that would be shocking. Everybody would assume wives submit to your husbands. Whenever he comes and he says, husbands love your wives. Agape your wives. And be not bitter against them or do not treat them harshly is how other translations use it. Oh, wow. Okay. I have to love my wife. In Ephesians, he'll say, just like Jesus loved his church. That's our standard, men. We have to chew on that. We have to try to apply that. But this is what it looks like to walk worthy in our homes. Walking worthy in my home doesn't mean I said it, that settles it. The walking worthy in my home doesn't mean that I should walk in and everybody's afraid to say anything because we don't want to disrupt the, the male leader. Y'all, I, I have to do some work with my dogs right now. I have two dogs. I'm very sad about it uh, that I have two now because I made a bad decision in a weak moment, uh, but, uh, but I'm trying to own it and I don't want to own it. I, I, I told Brittany, I said, I'm ready to get rid of the second one. Like I am done. I'm done being a, a, a daddy to a puppy dog. Here's the work that I have to do. I cannot pet this dog in love without this dog thinking that I am going to hurt it. And so then the dog, and this is, it's just life. The dog dribbles a little bit every time I go to pet it, like scared, like I'm going to beat it. I've never beaten this dog, I promise you. But think about this. There's, there's a culture out there that says that's how your family should react to you men. And there is a fleshly part of us that says, yeah, they should. Is that how Jesus wants us to react to him? Hmm. All right. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Again, nothing, nothing to look at here. Everybody would have, in an honor-shame culture especially, hey, it was expected for children to be obedient to their parents, not only to be obedient to their parents whenever they were in their rearing ages, but they were also to honor them in life. 
They were to continue to honor them. Jesus talks about this a little bit. It says, honor your fathers and mothers. And he says, but whenever it comes time for you to take care of your fathers and mothers, some of you are saying, well, I'm, I've dedicated this money to the Lord so that you aren't practically taking care of your parents. So Jesus takes this honor your mother and father and takes it away from affection and, and oh, I'm just going to you know, make them feel really good about themselves to practically caring for the parents. Nobody would have thought anything about this. Again, it says, as it is well-pleasing unto the Lord to do this. But then the next thing says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke your children to anger. Wow, that's a tough one to chew on. Because I can tell you this, I can say no after my kids have had five five scoops of ice cream and the sixth one I can say no and they can get mad at, right? I mean, so we know that this is one to chew on. We have to keep this in balance, but this is what walking worthy is to Paul. Paul moves on from the family. Paul goes on to uh, this. Uh, I would say in our day, we could apply this to our work. In their day, they had such things as servants and masters. We should not think of chattel slavery like in America uh, that we had uh, before the Civil War and before the emancipation of slaves. We should think uh, a little bit uh, more like... Uh, uh, what would we call it? Um, indentured servitude, maybe. Um, we could think about sharecropping, uh, that kind of way of thinking about things. But he goes on, hey, here's how I would encourage you to think about it. You think about it like if you are a boss or you are a, uh, uh, or you are a worker, and some of you are both and. Some of you are managing people, and then you have people managing you, right? So you have to see it on both ends. But he goes on, and he says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to to the flesh, and when he says according to the flesh, like your masters who are masters here on earth. He says, don't do it with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Because your word does not come from men. The Lord, uh, but knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward, the inheritance. For you truly serve the Lord Christ. Uh, in your jobs, you should not be known as the lazy bum. You should not be known as the begrudging employee. You should be known as the one who works with great diligence. Not just whenever the boss comes in. Y'all know the person who can kiss the bosses. Uh, yeah, y'all know that person, right? Everybody can look good in the right moment. Why do we do what we do? Because we want to grow up and walk worthy of the Lord. We want to walk worthy in our work each and every day. Here's what I can say. There have been Christians who have said, well, I'm not really working for anything here on this earth. I'm working for my inheritance. And they miss this. Paul says, since you are working for an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is reserved for you in heaven, that is kept by the power of God, you should then do all you can to do your work here with excellence, with diligence, with integrity. And then Paul says to the masters again, servants, him addressing servants probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But then he says, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. 
He doesn't say, hey, masters, guess what? I bet whenever they get to a certain period of life um, and they are making so much money, you could probably find good cause to get rid of them so that you could bring in somebody who's 20 years younger that you could pay half the cost. He says, you pay them what is just and right. You treat them with justice, with equity. You treat them like you want your master in heaven to treat you. Jesus, and like we know that he does treat him. Then Paul says to the church, continue in prayer, watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us, that God would open the door for utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. How do you walk worthy? Praying is a way that you walk worthy. Praying with watchful alertness. Praying for others who, in our church, praying for others in our world who are caring about the gospel of Christ. Paul uses the word mystery, and people get so tripped up on this. Paul has made clear what the mystery is. The mystery before Paul, and has been revealed, was this. That this covenant of grace that he had given to Israel... You shall be my people and I shall be your God. Through Christ would abound to everybody. Those who are of Israel and those who are not of Israel. The mystery was to Jews like Paul, they thought we're the covenant people of God that God's coming to rescue. He loves us specially. The, The revealing of the mystery was God saying, no, I love everybody, and in Christ, everybody could come without having to become like Israel. So that's the mystery that Paul's talking about. And then Paul goes on, and he picks up this catchword again, this catchword again in chapter 4, verse number 5. Walk in wisdom toward them who are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every man. Why are we doing this? So that we walk worthy of Christ. Why are we doing this? So that we walk worthy of Christ. Paul comes and Jimmy Dunn, a commentator, points this out. When he gets to this point and he says, in chapter 4, verse number 5, he says, a walk in wisdom, it is his way of coming back to the main emphasis of the letter and everything that might be uncertain of what I've said, here's the whole of it. Walk in wisdom. I've shown you how to live with one another. How do we live with those outside of our walls? You walk in wisdom towards them. Walk in wisdom towards them. What does that mean? Well, I think James tells us a little bit about wisdom over in James chapter number one, which is something that we should probably hold on to as a primary for even uh, uh, for, for any of us who are considering it. First of all, he says, if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God and he will give us wisdom. Uh, but then he goes on and he uh, talks about wisdom uh, that comes down from God. And then just give me one second. Uh, 
Man alive. Y'all know the passage that I'm talking about? It might be. Yes, thank you, Miss Faith. My mother from my mother. Um, Thank you. Chapter 3. He says, in chapter 1, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. Chapter 3, he says, who is a wise man endued with knowledge amongst you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. He says, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, there's no reason for you to glory. And you should not lie against the truth. You should not try to hide this or be in denial about this. He says, this wisdom, this wisdom of bitterness, envy, strife, that does not come from above. That is earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality, and it's without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I would argue that if you are uh, wanting to know what wisdom he's talking about in Colossians, that we should hold on to that passage in James. He says, walk wisely, walk in wisdom um, toward them that are without. So let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every man. Walking worthy for wives and for fathers and for employees and for managers. Walking worthy for us who are in this world is to walk in wisdom in this world. Uh, There's a lot more that we can be said about that and we'll come back to it at another time. But I will say this, when he's talking to them about walking in wisdom toward them who are without. And he talks about let our speech be seasoned with salt. He's not saying go out and use a bunch of Christianese with people. He's saying you should be able. You should be able in this world that we live in. To maintain a unique identity and yet also not be an alien. Let's say it a different way. You as disciples of Christ should be able to live in this world, and although people know that you have some different values and standards, you're not a weirdo. And our job of walking worthy in this world is not so that we look like a bunch of weirdos who can't connect with normal people and normal conversation. Our job of walking worthy in this world towards them who are without is that we can have small talk with people. And we can pay attention to our conversations. And we can allow those conversations to be opportunities that we could redeem. This is why we are doing what we're doing. As a church. Is so that you and I will walk worthy of the Lord. Paul gives us some things that we can't just say, well, this is what he says to do. We have to take it and we have to digest it. 
and we have to process it, and we have to meditate it, and we have to think on it, and we have to ask God, okay, God, how does this apply in my life? How, as a father, do I live in such a way to not provoke my children to anger? How, as, I, how as, a, as, a, as an employee, do I do my work with diligence and excellence and integrity, and yet, at the same time, not let my job become the thing that identifies me? How can I live in this world as a unique disciple of Jesus Christ? Somebody who is going against the grain of this world and yet not be an alien or a weirdo in this world, but be somebody, somebody who is not marked by bitterness or strife or envy, but somebody who is easy to be entreated so that whenever I tell them the good news of Jesus, It can come from a source that they can respect. This is why we're doing what we're doing. So my brothers and my sisters, in all that we do, let us be rooted and built up in him. In all that we do, let us be further established in the faith. In all that we do, let us abound unto thanksgiving. And with that, I say, Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes when we come through your word and we look at these things,